Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. The 17th and 18th centuries are sometimes referred to as the Age of Enlightenment, simply the Enlightenment, or the Age of Reason. The Enlightenment was a follow-on to the Scientific Revolution, which was a follow-on to the Renaissance. Generally speaking, it was a time of great change, huge increases in human understanding, and free thinkers that were so impactful we still study their works today. The world also saw two significant revolutions take place during that time, the American and the French, both of which had huge geopolitical and economic implications. In fact, the costs the French took on to support the American Revolution were part of what led to their own. From an intellectual standpoint, the Enlightenment was impactful because it was a time when tradition and convention were brushed aside in favor of exploration, creativity, experimentation, and observation of the natural world. Of course, that's not to suggest that there wasn't friction and disagreement between the holders of new ideas and the holders of the old ideas. One of the men born into that world would go on to be recognized as one of history's great minds. On June 16, 1723, Adam Smith was baptized in Fife, Scotland. He was born just two months after his father passed away, and so he was raised by his widowed mother Margaret, who encouraged his studies and set him on the path to becoming a disruptive thinker, long before the world categorized people that way, and certainly long before they were idolized for it. I'm Kelly Barner, your host for this episode of This Week in Business History on Supply Chain Now. I love history. Everything we do in business today stands on the shoulders of the great thinkers and innovators that came before us, whether we realize it or not. Although what was thought of as modern thought in the Enlightenment is very different from what we think of as modern thought today, it was a step change and break from the past that we have to understand and acknowledge. If you enjoy the unique blend of storytelling and business history that Scott Luton and I share on This Week in Business History, please take a minute and subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That will help others find us. And now, back to this week's business history story. Adam Smith studied at the University of Glasgow as well as Oxford University, although he vastly preferred the former to the latter. He felt that Oxford was 
well, stuffy. And he bristled at the fact that they were controlling about the information that their students were allowed to access. For instance, one time he was caught with a copy of David Hume's A Treatise of Human Nature. The book was taken away and Smith was punished severely. But why was that? Isn't college supposed to expose you to new ideas? The problem with David Hume, who would go on to be one of Adam Smith's most influential mentors, is that he argued people did things because of passion, not logic. His radical position on religious beliefs not only precluded him from holding a university position, but the Church of Scotland also tried to excommunicate him twice and failed. So Adam Smith was trying to access new schools of thought, and that did not align well with the prevailing winds at Oxford. Now, it does make sense that he would be trying to read philosophy, even though we think of him now as an economist. In the 18th century, political economy, as economics was called back then, was classified as part of philosophy. The more scientific aspects of economics wouldn't be acknowledged until later. Adam Smith spent years giving public lectures and working as a private tutor, but he was best known for the books he wrote. The first, published in 1759, was The Theory of Moral Sentiments. In this book, he questioned the moral thinking of the time and laid out opinions that academics to this day are still attempting to reconcile with what is generally considered his greatest work, The Wealth of Nations. Actually titled An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations, the book that Adam Smith is largely known for today was published in 1776, a notable year. The entire first printing sold out within six months, making it an instant bestseller. The Wealth of Nations is a really long book. I've never read the whole thing, but I do own a copy of it. And it could double as a doorstop if I didn't have so much respect for the ideas held inside its covers. If there is one thing people know this book for, and therefore know Adam Smith for, it is the idea of the invisible hand. The idea behind the invisible hand is part of what we call laissez-faire economics, sort of a let-it-be school of thought. Unlike his predecessors, Adam Smith didn't try to make the case that people acted based on their moral compass, at least not when it came to business and spending decisions. Instead, he insisted that each person acts in their own self-interest. And when everyone is left alone to act in their own self-interest, the economy is supposed to have a way of working itself out. If this approach worked completely, there would never be a reason for the government to intervene, such as with stimulus programs, price controls, interest rates, etc. Adam Smith believed that in a pure supply and demand system, efficient and innovative producers would be more successful and therefore could charge higher rates. Wise consumers would be empowered to choose the products and services of greatest value to them. But no system is perfect, and economists have failed to actually model or drive the market equilibrium that the invisible hand is supposed to produce. 
So it remains more of a theoretical concept, if an important one. And we certainly do see glimpses of it at work today. Provide a good customer experience or a more cost-effective product, and the world will in fact beat a path to your door. Better still, allow the free market to thrive inside a just system, and people will do good by doing well. Keeping prices low, incentivizing producers to offer a wide range of products, and benefiting society as a whole. Adam Smith basically made the case that by being selfish independently and largely being left alone, everyone, individuals and businesses, would be better off. A more useful and more practical idea from the book that we don't talk about as much is absolute advantage. When people, companies, and countries specialize in a certain kind of production, they get better at it than others. They can then trade that product or service for things that other people, companies, and countries specialize in. This connects closely to modern ideas about productivity. Smith wrote about productivity in terms of business cycles. Anything created in cycle one could be used to drive growth in cycle two, and so on. So if labor in cycle one were wasted, it either prevented or minimized the growth possible in cycle two from coming to pass. Wasting labor, just like wasting materials, was cause for concern like it had not been previously. Adam Smith was a man of his time, but he was just one of many important thinkers working during the Enlightenment. He made a couple of acquaintances on his journeys that were particularly interesting to me. Adam Smith met Voltaire in Geneva, Switzerland in 1764 or 1765. Voltaire was a French Enlightenment writer, historian, and philosopher who was famous for his wit, his criticism of the Catholic Church, and his willingness to fight for individual civil liberties. Voltaire's opposition to censorship, remembering back to stuffy old Oxford and the David Hume book, appealed to Smith, as did his general belief in the power of progress. In fact, it was David Hume that originally suggested Smith read Candide, one of Voltaire's best-known books, based on the fact that it was considered impious, and therefore, David Hume knew it would appeal to Smith. Smith also traveled in the same intellectual circles as Benjamin Franklin. In 1759, Smith met Franklin and his son William at the home of the man who published The Wealth of Nations. Adam Smith died in Edinburgh in July 17, 1790, after a painful illness. According to some sources, on his deathbed, he expressed his regret at having not accomplished more during his life. That actually makes me feel a little guilty because he accomplished a lot. So let me put Adam Smith back into context. I shared at the start of this episode that the Renaissance led to the scientific revolution, which turned into the Enlightenment. But what followed that? The Industrial Revolution or I suppose the first industrial revolution if you were thinking about it in a modern context. Adam Smith's ideas about productivity, 
specialization, and laissez-faire economics were embraced during the Industrial Revolution, and they opened markets and stimulated international trade. Adam Smith is certainly not immune to criticism, but that seems beside the point to me. Just because the wealth of nations isn't the end-all be-all of economics doesn't mean it wasn't an important step on the journey. That would be like saying that just because the Renaissance didn't lead us to digital technology, there's no reason to study it. Right or not, you can't understand or discuss economics if you don't understand the principles Adam Smith wrote about and appreciate them for how revolutionary they were in their day. On that note, it is time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.